when I started podcasting back in the dark ages, I thought I should have a standard introduction. I've given up on the standard introduction. This is a quackcast, the binarily 101th quackcast. It's called I Never Meta Analysis. I really like. As you may or may not know, these podcasts are derived from my entries over at Science Based Medicine. And as such, you're not that original. But curiously, some people prefer my dulcet tones over reading my spelling errors and grammar faux pas. And I thought only a dog had faux pas. Let's get into it, shall we? David Gorski recently pointed out that science-based medicine is going on five years. Amazing. That there would be so much to write about day after day comes as a surprise to me. Somehow I vaguely thought that controversies as such would be resolved. Pick a scam, contrast that scam with reality, scam of course standing for supplements, complementary, and alternative medicine, Contrast the scam with reality, and as best we understand it, and once again the scam would be found wanting, and it would be abandoned. Why would rational, thoughtful people persist in the pursuit of irrational behavior contradicted by the universe? Ha! More the fool me. I would have never guessed that these scams are harder to kill than Dracula, at least the Buffy version of Dracula. Stake them, back they come. I would like to use a whack-a-mole metaphor here, but Dr. Gorski loves the whack-a-mole metaphor, and I think that's his. I have tried to avoid repeating, repeating information found in prior posts by myself and others, in part because I am lazy, and in part because, well, I have said it before. Just look it up. I have come to realize, perhaps all too slowly, that each blog entry should be self-contained and that much of the old material is lost in the corn maze, a punning homophone, that is WordPress. Try finding anything in WordPress. Can't be done. Reading my second favorite computer, ORAC, reinforces the realization that each post needs to be an island universe, complete in and of itself. Now, medicine is often difficult. At least, I find it difficult. You have to come up with the cause of the symptoms, understand the underlying physiology, and then try and determine the best course of therapy. Sometimes I have it easy in infectious diseases, a much more binary specialty. Patients are either infected or not. If they are, I have either a therapy or I do not. If I treat them, I either cure them or I do not. There's not a lot of wiggle room in the treatment of, say, endocarditis, a heart valve infection, or meningitis and very little in the way of bias and placebo to obfuscate therapy. Or so I would like to think. Much of the rest of medicine is not as clear-cut. As a physician, there are multiple ways to assess the potential efficacy of a therapy. One is to do a definitive randomized placebo-controlled trial. Those do not seem to occur as much this decade as in prior times when giants walk the earth. And I think the answers to questions were a bit easier, or so my faulty memory suggests. Another way is to try and master the literature, a futile endeavor. In the two areas of medicine I have more than passing knowledge, 
infectious diseases, and scams. The nice thing about having a breadth and depth of reading is you can understand where new articles fit into an overall picture. What was the patient population studied? What were the weaknesses of the study? How applicable is that information to other populations? The downside of such expertise is I have to rely on the kindness of strangers in other areas of medicine, where, like John Snow, I know nothing. The breadth of knowledge has also made sources of information I once trusted much more suspect. Popular media? No way. Newspapers and magazines so often get it wrong in the areas of my expertise that I no longer trust them in areas where I know nothing, which is just about everything else. Meta-analyses? Nope. Talk about disillusion. I used to rely on meta-analyses, but they are worse than laws and sausages, ceasing to inspire respect in proportion to how much you know as to how they are made. I still like the meta-analysis and systemic reviews as a nice overview of a clinical topic, but for reasons we shall see, I am extremely hesitant to draw any therapeutic conclusions from any meta-analysis. The worst source, of course, is the anecdote. If I have said it once, I have said it once. The three most dangerous words in medicine are, in my experience. I had always thought of it in the context of physicians deciding on a therapeutic intervention, not so much from the patient's perspective. I realize that for patients, that is often the primary way they decide to try a therapy, especially a scam therapy, is based on the experience of others. And what would you do if you were a highly intelligent intellectual at one of the top newspapers and were curious about acupuncture? With the research capacity of, say, the Chicago Sun-Times, you could get the skinny on any topic, right? Or instead, such as Roger Ebert did, you could ask your readers if you should get acupuncture. Sigh. A microcosm of why, compared to science-based medicine bloggers, Sisyphus had it easy. That method of seeking medical advice, asking random people, has evidently been around since 480 AC, as mentioned by Herod Herodotos, H-E-R-O-D-O-T-O-S, quote, they had a very practical habit. On the marketplace, passerbys give advice to the patient about their ailment, in which case they can sometimes rely on personal experience or take advantage of someone else who has suffered from the same symptoms. Nobody can pass by without saying anything. It is obligatory to ask the patient what ails him. They bury their corpses in honey and mourn in the same way as in Egypt. Thank you, C.S. Renkins, for that quote. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Except for the honey part. But that's why we have the comment section of blogs, huh? Everything I distrust about medical reporting of late seems to have found a home in the Atlantic. This is the headline. Biologic implausibility aside, acupuncture works by Lindsay Adams. Really? News to me. I tend towards the opinion that if a process is biologically impossible, then it is more likely that A, any positive results are likely to be spurious and due to bias, and B, if that bias is removed, i.e. the old double-blind placebo-controlled trial, then most effects will fade to zero. 
that's what happens to the biologically impossible. It often happens that journals, like the New England Journal of Medicine, and magazines do not even bother to read their own reports. A scant two years ago, The Atlantic reported on the work of John Ionidas, probably mispronouncing his last name, and I apologize, and why most of the medical literature is suspect. Quote, Much of what medical researchers conclude in their studies is misleading, exaggerated, or flat-out wrong. So why are doctors, to a striking extent, still drawing on this misinformation in their everyday practice, end quote. And that in clinical trials, quote, the range of errors being committed was astonishing. From what questions researchers posed, to how they set up the studies, to which patients they recruited for the studies, to which measurements they took, to how they analyzed the data, to how they presented their data, to how particular studies came to be published in medical journals. This array suggested a bigger underlying dysfunction, and he thought he knew what it was. The studies were biased, he says. Sometimes they were overtly biased. Sometimes it was difficult to see the bias, but it was there. End quote. One of the epiphanies of my understanding and how to approach the medical literature was when I discovered the works of Dr. Ionidas. It would appear that Lindsay Abrams didn't bother to read the article, or more likely it was read and ignored. All the issues raised about the validity of the results of medical research never seemed to translate into scam studies. So, what was this earth-shattering, high-quality clinical paper that demonstrated after decades of lousy research that acupuncture works? Finally, a large, randomized, placebo-controlled clinical trial with good endpoints that demonstrates efficacy? Certainly, all the prior trials that meet those criteria demonstrate acupuncture doesn't work and that acupuncture is no better than placebo. Readers of my entries in the past know that my assessment of placebos is not favorable. It does not alter any underlying pathophysiology, just the perception of pain and disease and then only a wee bit, a clinically irrelevant amount. I agree with the article that acupuncture is, quote, nothing more than fancy ways of invoking the placebo, end quote. And you know Chrislip's Law, which is in the rational Wikipedia, acupuncture effect equals placebo, placebo effect equals nothing, therefore, acupuncture effect equals nothing. I well know that interacting with the patient with a therapeutic intervention will alter the patient's perception of what is occurring without altering any underlying pathophysiology. As the Newland Journal study revealed so nicely, if patients think they are receiving a therapy, in this case for asthma, even when they are not, they will report that their asthma is better even when the subjective tests show no improvement. To my mind, the placebo effect is no different than kissing a child's boo-boo. It is subjectively beneficial, although no objective changes occur to said boo-boo. These human interactions are important, if ineffective, part of human relationships. However, what the Atlantic was referring to is, quote, a new large study out of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center published in the Archives of Internal Medicine, cautiously suggests that there is indeed something more to acupuncture. 
a meta-analysis of 18,000 patients from 29 randomized controlled studies, it found that treatment was more effective than control in relieving back and neck pain, osteoarthritis, chronic headache, and shoulder pain. Significantly, it found that real acupuncture was more effective than shams. End quote. <sighs> Sigh. Now, when I see the word study, I think, oh, good. Someone has done a clinical trial. They've enrolled patients and compared, in a double-blind manner, interventions against placebo. But no, this is not a study. It is a meta-analysis. Calling a meta-analysis a study is not unlike the library declaring they required several dozen new books and magazines when their copy of Reader's Digest arrives. Someone massaging pre-existing data. Hardly a study. Nice for an overview over the topic? Yeah. But worthless for drawing conclusions, especially definitive conclusions. When applied to real treatments, those based on reality and known physiology, the results of the meta-analysis are often not predictive of clinical trials. This from the New England Journal of Medicine, the outcomes of 12 large randomized controlled trials that we studied were not predicted accurately 35% of the time by meta-analyses published previously on the same topics. Of course, that presupposes that the topic is not tooth fairy science. If the interaction is based on nonsense, then the validity of an intervention is much likely to be less. My bias, clearly stated here, is that one should be able to reason up and down the pathophysiologic pathways of a disease and treatment on the basis of biologic plausibility and basic principles. It comes, of course, from being a truly holistic doctor. Understanding infections at the level of amino acid substitutions leading to drug resistance or disease susceptibility up through the interaction with the Earth's ecosystem. That meta-analyses are unreliable should not be surprising. Most reality-based clinical trials are flawed. And if you collect a series of flawed trials, you end up with one big flaw. And the idea behind the meta-analysis, collecting all the cow pies into one big pile and making gold, is only as good as the quality of the initial pies. And they don't usually collect Marie calendars. I am not, of course, a true skeptic. I tend to avoid words like implausible and unlikely where I do not think they apply. As best as can be determined, acupuncture, homeopathy, energy therapies, and a host of other scams are, at the level of first principles, total bunk. And legitimate therapies cannot flow from total bunk. Nor can a meta-analysis make pumpkin from cow. Prior meta-analyses of acupuncture suggest that they are indeed substandard. The perhaps ironic and self-referential systematic review of systematic reviews of acupuncture, published 1996 to 2005, suggests, quote, systematic reviews of acupuncture have overstated effectiveness by including studies likely to be biased. They provide no robust evidence that acupuncture works for any indication. And as the Wikipedia so nicely points out, quote, the most severe weakness and abuse of meta-analysis often occurs when the person or persons doing the meta-analysis have an economic, social, or political agenda. 
if a meta-analysis is conducted by an individual organization with a bias or predetermined desired outcome, it should be treated as highly suspect or having a high likelihood of being junk science. From an integrity perspective, researchers with a bias should avoid meta-analysis and use less abuse-prone or independent form of research. This is no small issue if you happen to be a practicing clinician who takes the health and wealth of your patients seriously. Do I trust the meta-analysis that suggests linazolid is better than vancomycin for treating MRSA pneumonia when the studies and the meta-analyses are sponsored by the company? It doesn't completely abrogate the results of the trials, but it is a well-known fact that when the researcher has an axe to grind, the results will tend to sharpen the axe of the researcher. All studies have bias. The question is how well they compensate. In real medicine, I usually discount the results by about half when I'm forced to apply them to the real world. When approaching any study where the endpoints are subjective and at the limits of perception, two archetypes need to be considered. The first is the endless ability of people to fool themselves. At the turn of the last century, French physicist Blondelot discovered N-rays. These N-rays were at the limit of detection and, like acupuncture, made no sense in the context of known reality. Multiple papers were published on N-rays until a visiting professor, unknown to Blondelot, incapacitated the machine, yet he still saw the N-rays. Quote, N-rays were a purely subjective phenomenon with the scientists involved having recorded data that matched their expectations, end quote. Beware of NRAs in biomedical research. The other archetype is clever Hans. Maybe it's Hans, because he's German. He, Hans was a counting horse, who was actually reading the nonverbal cues of his owners to know when to stop counting. Humans, I would bet, are more sensitive and skilled than horses at reading other humans' nonverbal cues, leading to what is called, quote, the observer expectancy effect, which is a form of reactivity in which the searcher's cognitive bias causes them to unconsciously influence the participants of an experiment. It is a significant threat to a study's internal validity and is therefore typically controlled by using a double-blind, hmm, experimental design. Both NRAs and Clever Hans are examples of the importance of blinding not only the patient, but the researcher, and why if blinding is not adequate, then any results are suspect, especially if the endpoints are subjective. The studies of acupuncture that exclude NRAs and Clever Hans effects, i.e. really, really blinded, always show the same thing. Acupuncture does nothing compared to fake acupuncture. Now, the classic interpretation of clinical trials when an intervention, say, mammary artery ligation, is no better than sham mammary artery ligation, then neither are effective. I have been in medicine a long time, and the, that career is littered with interventions that were discovered to be no better than sham or placebo, and sometimes slowly and always reluctantly, abandoned by the medical profession. That, of course, has yet to happen with any of the scams discussed on this podcast.
Although hospital still offers internal mammary artery ligation for angina, centers of integrative medicine and their ilk are only becoming more common. So that is the background I use in approaching a clinical trial and a meta-analysis and a paper on scams. I admit I have to read meta-analyses with a Mr. Gumby, that's a Monty Python character, like understanding of the manipulation of the data, since statistics and I have never really gotten along, despite my affinity for other forms of mathematics. Back in the distant past, I was a physics major in college and took four years of physics and four years of math, but I took and dropped statistics four times. Once a year for four years. Pretty good. So, how does acupuncture for chronic pain individual patient data meta-analysis stand up? Color me unimpressed. It's done by the Acupuncture Trialist Collaboration. So, in a sense, no different from a meta-analysis by Big Pharma. They have a dog in the fight. That's okay. We all have a dog in the fight. But any result is likely to be inflated and biased. They did a search of the PubMeds and other medical literature and found 82 trials, of which 31 met their criteria for inclusion in the meta-analysis. Or another way to think about it, they left out 51 trials, the validity of which I cannot say. Would any of that information have changed the outcomes analysis? I don't know. I lack the time to look up all the primary data in preparation for this podcast. Remember, I do this as a hobby. Maybe I should start collecting stamps. They found that sham and real, as if there's a difference, acupuncture was more effective than doing nothing. I would expect that. The boo-boo is being kissed. There will be salubrious results. Did they remove the potential for in-ray and clever Hans bias? Nope. Quote, Healthcare providers obviously were aware of the treatment provided, and as such, a certain degree of bias of our effect estimate for specific effects cannot be entirely ruled out. Really, you think so? Duh. Once you have the possibility of observer bias altering the data, you know the data is no good. Putting their results into context, the authors of the study explained that for a pain rating of 60 on a 100-point scale, Follow-up scores decreased to around 43 for those who received no treatment, 35 for those that had received fake treatment, and 30 for those who received acupuncture. That translates into a 50% reduction in pain for acupuncture patients and only 30 and 42.5% reductions for control and placebo groups respectively. It is impossible to measure pain objectively. And the difference in pain reduction between sham and true acupuncture, although statistically significant, was small. How about minuscule? But the author's methodological elimination of bias, coupled with their massive sample size, give weight to the findings. Really, they eliminated bias. They had double-blinded trials. No. They did not eliminate bias. The study is worthless. The bias there alone is probably more than enough to account for the results of real acupuncture being better than sham acupuncture. The effect between the two inconsequential clinically and a massive sample size of cow pies only leads to one big cow pie indeed. 
Then, of course, Dr. Strawman weighs in. Should the lack of biologic plausibility lead us to reject compassion and empathy as a means to improve our patients' health? Oh, think of the children. They didn't have the think of the children part. But how about instead, should the lack of biologic plausibility lead us to reject a costly and worthless therapy with known complications and instead use our compassion and empathy as physicians and healthcare workers in a manner that is not based on lies. The fail blog needs to link to the Atlantic. It is a perfect match. And that is not all that is new about acupuncture of late. The Cochrane Reviews continues to prove that either they have no standards or they are really getting bored. They did a review of mumps treated with acupuncture. Really? They found one study, honestly, and they meta-analyzed the one study. Quote, we could not reach any confident conclusions about the efficacy and safety of acupuncture based on one study. More high-quality research is needed. They had the same conclusion with insomnia and endometriosis. Of course, pain and mumps and insomnia and endometriosis all have the same underlying pathophysiology. It's no wonder acupuncture works for so many diseases. Seriously, I don't think we need to do any research, high quality or otherwise, to see if acupuncture has efficacy for mumps, much less do a review. Not unsurprisingly, when there is double-blinding, analgesic effects disappear. In this interesting study, they inflicted acute pain on people and tried to demonstrate whether or not acupuncture was of efficacy. They did this because, quote, chronic pain patients gather a lot of information about different pain treatments and firmly believe in different therapies, end quote. They then tested the ability of acupuncture, sham or real, to affect acute pain, both cold and capsaicin injections. It didn't. While the real acupuncture works slightly better than the sham for capsaicin-induced pain, the effect, like the Vickers result mentioned in the meta-analysis earlier, quote, occurred mainly in a rating range that seemed irrelevant to clinical pain, end quote. In another study in the same issue of pain, there was no difference between sham acupuncture, poking them randomly, real, or placebo acupuncture, where they faked the punctures. And this was for low back pain. They found that all three were better than conventional therapy. The big flaw in the study is that they used hardened acupuncturists with a mean of 8.5 years of practice who were not blinded. Well, not statistically significant, Real acupuncture formed better than sham acupuncture, performed better than placebo, suggesting clever Hans lives. Like the asthma study in the New England Journal of Medicine, the best that one can conclude about the efficacy of acupuncture is it is like beer goggles. It makes the wearer perceive everything as looking better than it actually is. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire, we have come to the end of the 101st QuackCast. The award-winning QuackCast, the real QuackCast, one of three actually. If you're bored, and I know you are now, 
just log on to iTunes and write me a glowing review. And don't forget, the rest of my growing multimedia empire can be found at moremark.squarespace.com. And I'm doing the Twitter thing, and I'm doing the Facebook thing. I still find them obtuse, but, you know, I'm kind of old, so I can't be expected to do this sort of stuff smoothly. See you next time for the next Quackcast. Bye, guys.